Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. At salvation, several things happened to you. Uh, first of all, God justified you. He declared you righteous before him so that you were no longer enemies and you could have a relationship with him. The second thing he did was he adopted you. He made you a member of his family, and we're experiencing a little bit just with the, you know, uh, delegates from 16 different countries coming together, a bit of a family gathering, right? He regenerated you. He imparted a new life into you, the new birth. And then he began this process in you. He sanctified you. He is sanctifying you and will sanctify you completely in the end of setting you free from sin. And uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 10 tells us that, it, that, that there is a process here. He says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are, what? Help me, church. Being sanctified. Being sanctified. Now, approximately 600, uh, just under 600 of you completed the Set Free Retreat this weekend. We've had well over 10,000 participants uh, here at, go through a Set Free here at Southland. Hundreds have testified of the measure of freedom they've experienced in doing this. And I heard some of the testimonies even last night as we were finishing our services and we were, uh, and uh, some of you were exiting right about that time. I heard some testimonies of that again. I heard some of it this morning. But this is just another intentional step towards full freedom. It isn't the whole thing. We've never advertised the set free as being that which will set you totally and completely free. You will experience a new measure of freedom. Um, but something happened to you at salvation, which began your walk to freedom, and now that you've completed the set free, there's more steps to take on that pathway, and that's the topic of the message this weekend. So first, let's begin by talking about uh, being set free from sin. The first step toward complete freedom and sanctification was initiated by God at salvation, as, as we said, and here's how it happened. We all inherited Adam's sinful nature, and, uh, and, and we inherited that at birth, and we see evidence of it immediately with Cain and Abel, and it just continues the storyline of, uh, so we can see evidence of it, then we read about it in Psalm 51, in sin, my mother conceived me, David said, uh, then Paul talks about it. In Romans chapter 5, therefore just as sin entered the world through sin and death through sin, and then he says, and death through sin, and in this way death spread to all men because all have sinned. So Paul talked about it as well. It's a theme throughout Scripture. So in Adam, we inherited a sinful nature with its predispositions and tendencies towards sin. And independence from God, disobedience from God, that's the tendency and predisposition that we inherited. Which is why you never have to teach your kids how to lie or steal or, or fight or do any of those things. Have you ever noticed that? You never have to teach them that. It, it saves you a lot of parenting, doesn't it? <laughs> but you have to spend 18 years trying to correct that in them. Isn't it true? Now, Paul pictured this disposition or tendency to sin as 
enslavement. That's a metaphor that he used uh, for it. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, he said, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin. Used to be what? Slaves to sin. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. In other words, we had no ability to live godly lives pleasing to God. Even when we do good things before we're saved, we usually do them with bad motives, hidden motives. Isn't that true? And uh, so we couldn't live lives pleasing to God, which is why Paul said that we were by nature children of wrath in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. But here's what happened at salvation. Our old self was... Crucified. Our old self was crucified with it. Our old self with the old Adamic nature with its predisposition and tendency towards rebellion and disobedience and sin was crucified at salvation. Is that good news or not? That is really good news. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, because sin works its way out through our personality and right into the body, and uh, works its way uh, through the body and so on, that we should no longer be what? So we shouldn't be slaves to sin anymore. So our old self with its old nature was crucified. It was killed. That's radical surgery, wouldn't you say? So that we wouldn't be slaves to sin. That old self with the Adamic nature was crucified or killed so that we shouldn't be slaves to sin. I, I repeat that because I want us to get this because there's some confusion about this. Now, when the old self was crucified, we died to sin. And Paul says that in Romans chapter 6. He says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, remember, the old Adamic nature in our old self, and old self referring to before we were saved. That, 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 that's really where the emphasis of that old self and the new self is. It's like, kind of like B.C. and A.D. <laughs> so in yourself, before you were saved, you had that old nature there. With its tendency, it was crucified. And when you were crucified, when that old nature in you was crucified, you died to sin. Now that does not mean, death there, it, it does not mean, it's not talking about existence, it's rather talking about relationship. Our relationship to this power of sin changed. We died to it, it no longer could be a power on the inside controlling and dominating us, it became an outer force that was tempting us from the outside. Do you see the difference? We died to sin. Death is the ending of a relationship, but not of its existence. So we were delivered from Satan's dominion of bondage. Colossians 1, Paul said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. The power of sin... Now, sometimes people say the power of sin was broken. No, the power of sin was not broken. It is still there. But the power of sin was broken in its control of you. Aha! 
but it still tempts us from the outside. It, 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 sin's power to dominate was broken through your death in your identification with Christ when you were baptized in the likeness of his death. It was broken in you. God did that. And uh, so he says, uh, because anyone who's died has been freed from what? We've been freed from sin. Because the old self, with its Adamic nature, the self before salvation, was crucified at salvation in our identification with Christ. That's another whole topic. Uh, when we died with him in Christ, or in Christ, and therefore we died to the domination of the sin principle or power that was controlling us and forcing us to live a certain way, act and think and respond in certain ways, and we died to that. And so it's, on the, it's an outer force tempting us. And so we are no longer bound or obligated to serve or obey it. We can make a choice on that now. Now, here's the second thing. That brings us to the ongoing struggle within. But not only, not only did God crucify our old self with the old nature, he then replaced the old Adamic nature with a new divine nature. In 2 Peter chapter 1, talks about that uh, divine nature. Uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life. That, he's taught in there about justification, like in Romans chapter 5, we were justified, and we saw that little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a definition. Everything we need for life, justification, and godliness, sanctification, this being set free from sin. Uh, he's given us everything through the knowledge of him, that's the knowledge of Christ, coming to know Christ, knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, justification, sanctification, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may partake in the what? Divine nature. And because you are uh, now got the divine nature in you, and escape what? The corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And uh, so there's the divine nature. That's, that's, that's part of who we are after salvation, our new self. And therefore, if anyone, Paul puts it in another way, in another passage, passage that m most of you or many of you would know, Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or creature. That's the new self. The old has what? It's gone. The new has come. So that old nature and its predispositions to sin and all that, that's gone. The new has come you got the, because you've got a divine nature. So you have the impulses for obedience to Christ. You have the impulses for dependency on God, which you didn't have before. So, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, 13, in fact, he says... Uh, the Spirit of Christ. In fact, did you know the word nature is only found two times in the New Testament? But we keep talking about it a lot, and there's a reason for it, and I'm, I'm going to get to it in just a moment. But um, do you know uh, what, what he talks about when he talks about the divine nature being in us now? He, the, the other word that he uses a lot for that is the Spirit who's in us. We live by the Spirit, uh, keep in step with the Spirit, 
Those who live by the Spirit, they put to death the deeds of the body, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's the Spirit. It's the, it's the same thing as that divine nature. It's the same thing. The Spirit of Christ is that divine nature. Now, if there aren't two natures, the Adamic and divine, battling within us, then why do we still act and react as though sin was still in control of us? Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do, uh, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Does that sound, do, do any of you relate to that verse? Anybody here? Okay. I see a few wives nudging their husbands. Raise your hand. <laughs> Raise your hand. Be honest. In fact, we see just how much this battle within frustrated Paul. In uh, just uh, nine verses later, he says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? But the struggle isn't between the old nature with its propensity to sin and the new divine nature with its propensity to righteousness. Paul points us in another direction. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. Uh-oh, wait a minute, now we've got a problem. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature? What do you mean? I thought you just said, Ray, that you, we, that was killed and it was destroyed. And well, that's what Scripture said. It was crucified. Here we have a problem with the NIV. And uh, it's the old NIV, but it, a whole generation of us were raised on it. And I memorized hundreds and hundreds of verses out of the NIV. And so I can't switch to ESV like Chris does. Uh, it's too late for me. <laughs> it's just too late in the game. But all the translations have a problem here or there. This is where the NIV has a problem. Because where sarks is found, in Ro throughout Romans chapter 8, sarks is found. And it always translates as sinful nature, and that confuses the matter. The same thing in Galatians chapter 5. He says, uh, uh, and we're going to come to it in a minute, in Galatians 2 verse 20, he says, we were crucified with Christ. And he's, that's the old self with the old nature and stuff. But then in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about sarks, which is translated flesh, but the NIV went and translated again as sinful nature. It's not the sinful nature. We don't have two natures battling inside of us, and that's confused the issue. And so a lot of, a whole generation of us grew up thinking there's, a, you know, the metaphors we heard years ago were there's black dog and a white dog, and if you feed the white dog enough, then the white dog beats the black dog. That's a terrible metaphor for the divine nature, a white dog. It doesn't even make any sense. It, it puts them on the same level. No, no, that's not what happened. The one was crucified. Aren't you glad? Yeah. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. And all through chapter 5, it's flesh. Now, we're going to talk about that uh, for just a few minutes. Um, as we saw, the old self was crucified. We have one nature, and Paul is introducing us here to the flesh. And I want you to notice something in Galatians 2.20. I'll go back to it now. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I have been 
crucified. It's a passive. It was done to me. Who crucified the old self with its old nature in me? Who did it? God did. I was crucified. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it. I wasn't going to do it. And I was crucified with Christ. When, he, when I received him as my Lord and Savior at salvation, I was identified with his crucifixion. And in that, something, something in the spiritual realm happened and my old self and the old nature was crucified. But it was done by God. Now, I want you to notice something. He re, um, notice that Paul said, what Paul says about our flesh, however. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, not have been crucified, they have crucified the flesh. Notice that? Anybody notice what I'm getting at? Our old self with the old Adamic nature was crucified by God, but the flesh is something that we as believers are called to crucify. Do you see that? There's a difference between the two uh, here. Uh, the old self uh, with its Adamic nature is not the same as our flesh. So then what is the flesh? Well, when you and I were created, we came with a conscious and subconscious part to us. The subconscious is actually a gift to us. So, for example, when you learn to drive a car, when you first start to learn to drive a car, do you have to concentrate about everything you do? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You even have to, you know, your, your instructor or your parent or whatever who's next to you, they even, they're watching your hands even in the turn. And are you going hand over hand or are you doing this awkward Mennonite kind of thing, kind of driving? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Have you ever seen people who do that? It drives me nuts. I was a driving instructor, as you can tell. And so then, oh, now the driver has to concentrate on that, and they have to look for the gear shift. Oh, yeah, and where's the, where's the park? Oops, that was the reverse. <laughs> right? You have to consciously think about it. Is that true? Now, I want to ask you a question. You've been driving for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. When you get, do you think about what you're doing when you get in the vehicle? You just get in. Now, don't tell Harold Lanaga that or the RCMP, but <laughs> you, the truth is you just get in the vehicle and you just, you know, you put your foot on the brake, you press that button, and you hit the button and the garage door goes open. You have to remember to look in the mirror and make sure that garage door actually went up, <laughs> right? Because it's all in the, autom in the automatic. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever got to Winnipeg and wondered how you got there? Has that, how many of us that happened to? How did I get there? And then you realize you did that subconsciously and you were thinking about or talking to somebody else the entire time. Not on a phone, of course. <laughs> right? <laughs> Not on a phone. Uh, but, but, but you were doing something else consciously. Like when you, when you get up in the morning, you know, you don't think about, oh, shoot, I got to get my, let's see, I'm on the left side of the bed. I got to get my left leg out first. 
and I got to follow that with the right one. And then you go to the shower and, and, and let me ask you this question. Have you ever been taking a shower and after that you came out of it and wondered if you shampooed your hair? <laughs> Has that ever happened? That's happened to me. And then I go back in the shower to see if that bottle is wet or not to determine, because my hair is wet. It's true. But that's, a gift. that's actually a gift to us, right? It's a, the, it's, these are patterns, they're habits that have been ingrained into our subconscious and they actually help us to, do, to live the way we can. And we can multitask. Well, at least the women can, right? We can do more things at a time by doing it that way. Isn't that true? It's a gift. However, there's something that happened. I mean, this happened, uh, uh, when we got saved, we're born with that old self, uh, that, that was our old self, with that old Adamic nature, which always had a tendency to think contrary to what God's thoughts were, always had this predisposition to sin and to rebel and be disobedient. And we did it over and over and over, and it created habits and neural pathways in our brain, our, and it's in the flesh that that has been ingrained in us. Do you see that? And that's where the problem is. And so you were influenced by books you read, movies you watched, music you listened to, traumatic events. You're influenced by your family, friends, peers, neighborhood teachers, jobs, your culture to think certain ways, to act certain ways, and react certain ways, and they've just become part of your ingrained subconscious flesh. And that's how you act. And here's the problem. These, these were the destructive, because this is how you learn to cope and survive and live in this present world. And these were the destructive behaviors that you automatically began to follow and revert to. And when you were born again, God killed the old nature in your old self, but nobody pressed the clear button on your flesh and those patterns of thinking from your mind to your brain that were ingrained in your flesh, uh, your, your responses and your actions, they were not cleared. So your sins were washed away. Your old nature with its predisposition to sin uh, was crucified, but your flesh wasn't reprogrammed. You didn't clear, you didn't clear, uh, uh, clear that. And so you still have these old destructive habits and thought patterns which remain ingrained in the flesh. So while your new self with its divine nature desires to live dependent and obedient to God, that's a good start, right? Your old flesh is still working in an automated kind of response uh, fashion. And that flesh is the part that you and I are responsible to crucify. That's the part. Uh, before we were saved, we were hopelessly imprisoned in the flesh. There was nothing we could do about it because we had this old sinful nature, completely predisposed, enslaved to sin and stuff. So we were in, in that sense, we were in the flesh, and that's the patterns it made, and there's nothing we can do. But today, we're not in the flesh, but we can still choose to live according to the flesh. Do you see the difference? 
And so uh, Romans 8, Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. He's calling us to do that. We're to crucify the flesh. Well, it, goes, it, 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 it gets even a little bit more complicated. Um, as we talk about, as we introduce the devil and divine weapons into this next section, people who study human behavior tell us that if you continue to repeat an action for six weeks, you'll form a habit. If you exercise the habit long enough, a stronghold is established, like if it's a negative habit. Once in your mind, once a stronghold of thought and response is entrenched in your mind, your ability to choose and to act contrary to that pattern is almost impossible. It seems almost impossible. So let's take, for example, um, an, an imaginary, uh, fictitious kind of an example. Imagine there's three boys, 18, 13, and 9, who are growing up in a home with an alcoholic father who's ang who comes home every day drunk and belligerent. The 18-year-old uh, the is, let's say he's taller than his father, stronger, and he, and he says, don't you touch me. You, don't you dare lay a finger on me. Uh, or I'll fight you. And so that's how he responds to his father all the time, and his father backs down. The next son, 13, he's not as big as father yet, and, uh, he, he's, uh, and so he, he, his father comes in, and he appeases him. And he says, uh, Dad, can I take a Coke? Can I get you something to drink? Uh, what can I do for you? And he tries to appease him, okay? He, he becomes the classic enabler. In, in the whole thing. Then you have the youngest one, he's nine years old. And every time he hears that door open and slam shut, he shudders inside. And he's very afraid and he scurries for cover, maybe under the bed, into a closet or something. And that's what, now think about it, that this kind of behavior goes on for 10, 15 years. That kind of behavior, has, you know, let's say that happens over a 10, 15-year period. Uh, a destructive pattern of, of handling hostility has grown in these three boys, but it looks different in each one of them. One is going to fight for the rest of his life. The other one is going to be an, a classic enabler. And the third one is going to run from problems. Do you see, do you see the problem? Those are strongholds that have, been, uh, that have been formed there. But we're not just against, up against the world and the flesh. We haven't even talked about the world here, but the world is another piece to it. But not just those pieces, but then we've got the devil thrown into this entire mix. Uh, he's scheming to fill your mind with thoughts which are opposed to God's plans for you. In 2 Corinthians 11:3, Paul said, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds or thoughts may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And one key way that he tempts you, guess where he tempts you. Right at that place of vulnerability. Right at that place where there's a stronghold that has de developed or is already developing or a pattern of thinking or a pattern of response has begun 
with your flesh, in your flesh, right there, that's where he tempts you, which is why temptations are unique. They are they're, they're uniquely made or tailored just for you. And that's why some, they, rest, they struggle in one area, they're tempted a lot in one area, and others are tempted in a completely different area, and they, they don't struggle with that side at all, but they, they struggle on that side all the time. And uh, that's, what the, that's what the devil does. And that's how he gets a foothold in our lives. That's why Paul said, using anger as an example, because anger is, is a typical one. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or wrath. Do not give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. Uh, the NIV says, another place says, a place from which to work. If he and his demons can get an opportunity or place in your life, his goal is to build additional strongholds there. And much of his temptation is in the form of thoughts and ideas, lies. They may be lies of identity, such as feelings of rejection and inferiority and unworthiness, being unloved and so on. Or it can be lies even of confidence, not born of dependence on God, but born of independence from him, which result in things like prayerlessness. Um, and he can deceive you into thinking that his thoughts are your own. Those lies and temptations are designed to reinforce the fleshly patterns in your mind and in your brain. And he, is, he and his demons are relentless in their attempt to distract you from a walk of faith with Christ. That's what he's trying to do. So you may begin to feel like a helpless victim, but... The scriptures tell us that we're anything but helpless. Aren't you glad about that? We're not helpless victims in this. I mean, I'm presenting a problem, but he says we're supposed to do something about it because we can do something about it. He, he says we are the ones who determine the winner in each of these skirmishes. So in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, he says, for though we... Uh, walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, see, there's thoughts, and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and every thought, and take uh, captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Now, I just, uh, let me just say this. Now, now, he's, now he's talking about warfare, and we're talking about strongholds. And before, we were talking about crucifying the flesh and stuff. When he's talking about demolishing strongholds in a, war, uh, in a warring picture or metaphor, it's the same as when he's talking about crucing, crucifying the flesh. Same thing. It's just a different picture, just a different metaphor to uh, help us think about it from different angles and different ways and catch those of us that relate better to one than to the other, all right? But you and I can't outsmart or outmuscle the flesh or the devil on our own. Our weapons must be divinely powerful if we're going to win this spiritual conflict. And the main targets that must be destroyed are those destructive strongholds or patterns in the flesh. That's what we've got to do. So, the million-dollar question is, How do we do it? Exactly. 
How do we do it? Well, there's, there's a whole variety of things that we can do, but I'm going to give you three key steps that should always be part of, of the mix. And obviously, some of the things that you did you know, this weekend, you know, whether it's inner healing or destructive family patterns or um, uh, confessing sin and all of those kinds of things and, and deliverance stuff, they're all, they're all part of it. So now that you've done it set free, you have to walk out that freedom. So what are three things we can do? Here's step number one, just three. And we'll do a little exercise with it uh, tonight at the prayer summit. Here's the first one. Pray daily for what it is that you want to reprogram and the trait that you want to replace it with. Okay, pray daily for it. See how uh, David prayed in this vein. He said, let no sin rule over me. God really wants to answer such prayers. And Paul prayed for the Philippian believers to grow in righteousness. He said, this is my prayer. And then he goes on about his prayer. And look in verse 11. Then he says, filled with the fruit of what? Righteousness. Now, some of you are saying, well, this, this is exactly in this praying where I run into a problem because uh, sometimes people say things like, I don't, want to, I don't want to pray for patience because if I pray for patience, then what? Yeah, yeah, then exactly. I'm going to be tested for patience and I'm going to be impatient. Well, that's exactly right. That's how you learn to become impatient by having a test that will try to help you to become patient. Isn't that true? So it's true that if you pray for patience, you will get a test that will tempt you to be impatient. But it's false to think that that's not what you should do. <laughs> that's exactly what we should do. Uh, we need to pray for that because otherwise we're not going to ever become patient. Here's the second thing we need to do. We need to renew our minds. Romans 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, his good, pleasing, I should say, and perfect will. So we've got to renew our minds. Uh, now, how do we renew our minds? Well, stockpiling our minds with God's Word, gleaned by years of Bible reading, study, listening to messages. That's very, very helpful, and because general Bible knowledge is very, very important for that. Uh, you cannot, if you do not fill your mind with general Bible knowledge, you don't know when the enemy is lying and deceiving, and he's doing it all the time. He is speaking to you regularly. That's why Christians who say listening to God, and they, have, they quibble over whether there is such a thing as listening to God. Listen, we're all listening to the devil. We better listen to God. Amen? He's constantly deceiving us. Well, if he's deceiving us, how can he deceive us if we can't hear him? Is that true? He's constantly giving us thoughts. He was deceiving in the, in the scriptures continually. He, he deceived Eve. I mean, right at the start, he's deceiving all the way through. I, I don't know where we got this. Oh, he deceived us in the church and thinking you can, hear, you can hear the devil, but you can't hear God. That's ridiculous. But that's another topic. <laughs> 
Um, so let's. Uh, uh, so we have to have some general Bible knowledge. But did you know something else? We should be, we should be getting specific scriptures into our head for the fight to win, to crucify our flesh and repattern and and make new patterns in our mind and in our brains, we need specific scriptures, not just general Bible knowledge, to do that. So we need to memorize some of those verses, even uh, some of the ones, well, like this one and some of the other ones that I had so that we understand how this thing works and don't get messed up and befuddled about this whole thing and, and lose sight of what's really going on in this, in this battle. But also then we need to be memorizing some passages of scripture that are specific to the particular area that we're trying to get rid of and we're trying to win in. Years ago, I was, I was struggling with self-control, and one day I'd had it, and I, I said to the Lord, you've got to help me. And uh, I, I said, speak to me about this. And, and all of a he brought to my mind, see, there's general Bible knowledge, he brought to my mind Moses. I love Moses, don't you? He had a problem with self-control. Did you know that? He forfeited the right to lead the children of Israel into the promised land because of lack of self-control. He, uh, he was supposed to speak to the rock. He hit the rock. And then I was, I was, uh, I was doing some reading, Psalm 106. I got to Psalm 106, and it says, rash words came out of his mouth at that incident. I had never seen that before. I mean, I'd read it, but somehow it just never clicked. I memorized that passage then. Rash words came out of his, you know, and then I memorized words on self-control, uh, you know, um, and uh, out, of, out of Peter and out of, well, Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit and so on. I'm, and I memorized some of those, those uh, passages. And that's really, really important that we're going, that, we're, that we do that kind of thing. And, you know, as I did it and I was being tempted, this this fear of the Lord, like when uh, suddenly like this fear of the Lord began to grow in me. In fact, then I, then I went and I reviewed some more of my memory work on fear of the Lord and that kind of stuff because I went, my goodness, if he could forfeit the right to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, I could, I could forfeit the right to lead at Southland or now at, in church renewal. I don't want to forfeit that. I mean, do you? No. It, it created a fear. Renewing your mind like that, specifically in those areas, is going to help you. Here's the third thing you have to do. You have to live and keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? Galatians 5.24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful, well, the flesh. <laughs> I um, uh, the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When you pray to grow in a particular area of your character, the Holy Spirit is more than happy to help you and I. So he sets up the test, just like we mentioned in point number one, because that's the only way you can establish a new character trait. Now, when he sets those tests, they're not temptations to cause you to fall. Satan will always do it hoping that you're going to fall. The Holy Spirit does it to set you up to pass the test, and he helps you in the process. Satan won't help you in the process, 
And so you're going to, yeah, the, the, the whole point is that you fall. The Holy Spirit will help you in the process because he wants you to win. So how does he help you in the process? Well, we're, we're going to get to that in just a sec, but he will test you. Take a look at James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Okay, in this case, the test was to give you perseverance. That's what these tests are for. And they're designed to cause you to repeat the proper behavioral responses until your responses become part of your disposition. And, and, and so take a look at what happens. If you're keeping in step with the Spirit, because this whole thing about living by the Spirit versus the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, that's the context. The whole thing about living by the Spirit and keeping in step, it's all in context about living by the Spirit or in keeping in step with Him or living by the flesh. The whole chapter 5, that's what it's about. And look what he says. Keep in step with the Spirit uh, at this point because the Spirit is going to help you. Now, so you make this resolution, let's say it's self-control, and you're going to do it. So the Spirit sets up a test. And here comes your first test, and it's all, a test is always a blind side. It comes at the least convenient time. Have you ever noticed that? Yep. Uh, because that's when it really counts. It's, the test is too easy if it's convenient and you're ready for it. So it blindsides you when you're in a hurry on your way to church. <laughs> a lot of the tests come on the way to church. Have any of you had those? Yeah, how many of you had it this morning? And here's what happens. Have you ever noticed that when the test comes, and you, you, you're, you're, this is the area, this is where you made your resolution, you have a microscopic uh, second, a microsecond, I mean, not scopic, microsecond where you have an out-of-body experience. In, in other words, a pause goes on in your life. And you quickly remember that, oh yeah, I was going to act differently in my response here. Has that ever happened to you? It's, it's an out-of-body out of kind of experience, microsecond. It just, it's, it's, it's just a pause. That's the Holy Spirit. He's reminding you, okay? He set up the test. He blindsided, uh, blindsided you. And now he gives you, oh, pause. Remember, this is a test. Oh, shoot, yes, this is a test. Then, uh, remember, he's given you the desire for that. So you desire it. There's a little bit of a battle going on. And he reminds you of a verse that you're memorizing. Oh, you're going to practice self-control. I'll practice self-control when it's night, But right now, I don't want to practice self-control. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? Not now. So this little battle ensues for about 10 seconds. But after 10 seconds, you win. One, and you know what that equals? One righteous act. Hallelujah. Your wife can't believe it, or your husband can't believe it. One righteous act. Whew, you feel pretty good about it. And then the next test comes and blindsides you again. Same pattern. Pause, microsecond. 
And remember, you're, you're going to do this, ah, shoot, yes, desire, uh, uh, say this thing on, uh, you know, repeat a thing on, on, uh, on self-control, pray for a little bit of help, yes, he empowers you, okay, whew, that took, that took eight seconds. And you got two righteous acts after years of terrible righteous act, uh, terrible acts there in those responses, right? Not terrible righteous acts. All right? And the next one comes, and it's five seconds. And the next one comes, and it's three seconds. And the next one comes, and you're down to one second. You're, you're doing it. You're doing fast. But notice it's all conscious. This is not a habit. <laughs> oh, no, no, this is not a habit. It's still a battle for every righteous act, but you're doing it in less time. And every time you win, you're, getting, you're gaining. Uh, uh, your mind is prepared for action. You're gaining this, this tremendous excitement and joy because you're winning. And you want to win the next one and the next one. And then all at once, you don't even notice that you're reacting. And one day, your spouse or friend or somebody at work says, I've noticed something about you. You've changed. And you go, oh, I, I, yeah, I get, yeah, yeah, I, get, I, I guess I did. But, but it's a habit. You know, you've, you've, been going, you've been going from habits that are still conscious, you know, like uh, it was righteous acts and it was habits that are still conscious, but you're doing it in a split second. And now it's gone into the subconscious, and now that's becoming your predisposition. And at this point, you're becoming known for that. You're this kind of person that's always joyful. You're this kind of person that is always patient. You're the kind of person that always responds graciously. You're this kind of person, you know, the, you see what I'm saying? And what you've done is crucified the flesh and repatterned it, and you are responding with righteousness as a matter of fact. Isn't that amazing? We can all have that. Is that true? Is that something you want? It's, 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 it's simple in, its, in understanding. It's, it's, it's not a difficult concept, but it is difficult to work out. That's why he says, God crucified us in Christ. That's radical surgery so, to make this possible. But now he calls us to crucify the flesh. And that's radical work. If you think you're going to do it by walking out of this building and hoping that something's going to hit you on the way out, it won't. Way too many, many Christians live be, below the freedom line because they're not willing to engage in this kind of radical Christianity that the scriptures call us to. And they call us to that. God calls us to that. The world is desperate to see churches full of those kind of Christians. Because you see, the reason our witness isn't very powerful is because we're living below the, not the poverty line, but the freedom line. And what they see doesn't look that attractive. But if they saw us able to do this by the power of Christ who's alive in us, don't you think that would make a whole lot of difference to our witness in the world? 
I think it would. I think it would. So uh, tonight, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to actually, we're going to have an exercise tonight at the prayer summit uh, where we're going to select a trait and, well, I'll tell you more about it then, all right? So tonight is prayer summit, 6 to 8. We'll pray into that and come expecting answers to prayer. Lord, thank you for this. And right now, I pray that already you would begin to work in our hearts about this matter of a trait. Just one thing, just one thing that you want us to be intentionally and proactively working on to crucify in our flesh. Would you even right now, as we pause for a moment, bring something to our mind? Yeah, yes, Lord, that's the, that's the thing. Yep, that's the thing. Lord, we, uh, we confess that we've been failing in that area because we haven't been walking out our freedom by living by the Spirit in this. And today we choose and we commit ourselves to the process that this is going to take to change in our lives. Thank you for speaking to us plainly and simply and showing us how we can do this. In Jesus' name, amen.